this episode of Dig Me Out. They are able to make music that sounds strangely familiar, but you can't really pin where it's coming from. And we put the windows down in the car and drove around, and this just cranked this record, and it sounded awesome. Knew it! I seriously, I knew these guys were Swedish. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host Tim Minichi. Joining me once again, my friend and co-host, and I can't think of any other witty little fellow human, fellow human, Jay Ziak. Jay, um, how are you this evening? You okay? I'm pretty good. I'm a little gassy. I'm gonna admit it right now. So you might be letting off some steam during this podcast. I may, I may erupt. <laughs> but you know. Okay, well, we'll um, turn off the smell of vision for this episode. And uh, we'll go uh, odorless. I'm excited about this episode because um, I, this was an album that I, uh, I'm talking about the Wanna Dies Be a Girl before I jump into it. This was an album I completely uh, discovered randomly. I'd never heard of this band. Hmm. Uh, I just started downloading some stuff and uh, randomly found this and uh, Katie my wife was like oh yeah I've totally heard of them I was like oh well look at you aren't you cool <laughs> so we'll, so get, gonna, in, we'll gonna, get into why she knows them I'm gonna guess they're a late 90s band then well actually no that's the interesting thing oh yeah I thought I knew everything how no, could I be wrong no Jay there are small small little divots of emptiness in your music knowledge this is, unac- this is unacceptable. Please give me the information. The Wanna Dies formed in... I'm going to really mess up this pronunciation. In Skelleftia, Sweden. Knew it! I Seriously, I knew these guys were Swedish. Well, it was because it was the odd pronunciation of half their lyrics. And phrasing and and, and uh, weird... Um... I'll, t- I'll tell you why when okay. I get my review, but I knew it. Um, they formed in Sweden in 1988, and the original lineup was Par Wixton on vocals and guitar, Christina Bergmark on keyboards and vocals, Stefan Schoenfeldt on guitar, younger brother Frederick Schoenfeldt on bass, and of course you got to have a guy named Gunnar, if you're Swedish, Gunnar Carlsen on drums, with Bjorn Malmquist on violin. So although that sounds like the lineup to the 1988 Swedish hockey team, that was actually the uh, the Wanna Die's first lineup. Uh, they played their first concert in the fall of 88 in support, at a festival in support of the Nicaraguan Sandinistas. <laughs> Why not? Sure. If anybody knows who the Sandinistas are, I'm going to give you bonus points for making a comment on, our, on either our Facebook page or on the blog. They recorded their debut EP that October, which got them signed to Sweden's MNW Records in the fall of 89. The following August, in 1990, they released their self-titled debut, and then in October of 92, they released their second album, Aquanautic, on Snap Records, which was MNW's indie label. Uh, Around that time, the violinist Bjorn Malmquist left the band, but played one song on the third album, Via Girl, which we're reviewing, and the band went on to release in uh, 
Be a Girl in 94, November 94. Now, there's a song, now this is where we're getting my wife's involvement in, on this album. This, the first song on this album is called uh, You and Me Song. That was included on the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. Worst song on the album. <laughs> don't don't tip your hat to the uh, to the cheer review. Almost um, maybe not listen to this record. We'll get into that. So they got some they got a little bit of uh, you know publicity here because they were featured on the song featured in the in the movie songs featured in the movie and they were on the soundtrack. They then released their fourth album Bagsy Me on uh, Sony BMG in January of 97. After that, the drummer uh, Gunnar Carlson left and replaced by Eric Dahlgren. They then released a second self-titled album, but it was only in the U.S., which basically consisted of... It was one of those like Swedish bands putting together all their best singles for the United States market and putting them on one album. Sort of what the Hives did. I think the Caesars did that, too. Yeah, a lot of bands from overseas that don't ever release an album. Uh, Aqualung, I think, did that. Aqualung released two albums before they ever released anything in the United States, and then their actual first album was a compilation of the best songs off their first two albums. That did nothing for the Wanna Dies in the United States. They recorded in, uh, or they recorded with Rick Ocasek for their next album, Yeah, which was released in October of 99. But uh, Sony BMG refused to release the album in the U.S., and it was released by a small indie label and then dropped. So after the release of, I guess, their sixth album or fifth, depending on whether you count the re-release album, uh, they had no record label. They put out an album in 2002 called Before and After, which they recorded in their own studio on their own dime. And that came out on a small Scandinavian label called National. And then it was released in the UK the following year on Cooking Vinyl. And then from 2002 to 2009, the band recorded and played shows, but they didn't put anything out. And then in two- April of 2009, they announced that they were breaking up and that Par Wickstein, or Wickstein was going solo. And I don't have any information if he's ever released anything as a solo artist. So that's the history of The Wanna Dies, probably more complete than any anybody needs to know but <laughs> so jay since i brought this album to you why don't you give me your opinions on it this is an album that um sonically is really really well done so they're using um some tones and textures that when you put them together are, are kind of are kind of a can't miss formula you got a great drum sound you got thick, fuzzy guitars, but they're they're not fuzzy to the point of um, being muddy. They're still very, you know, they have enough crispness to them that you can hear the riffs and stuff. Good, you know, round bass. It all sounds very um, natural, room sounding. It's not overproduced. It's a nice mix of things being, you know, tight and precise, but not overproduced. And then over top of it, the singer's got a higher voice kind of cuts through that so there's a really good mid and low and then this singer's voice kind of comes up over the top but he's still able to be melodic you know sometimes when guys are have a higher voice they sort of struggle a little bit being able to carry melody but he, he does it really well and he sings in a really relaxed kind of tone so when you put all those pieces together it's 
just sonically, it's hard to miss. You know, the album's really well produced. Um, and then on top of that, you know, the songwriting is pretty strong. It's, it's I guess I would say it's um, fairly poppy, alt, alt pop, I guess you could say, at times, you know, kind of straight pop. Do you think power pop? No, I don't think the energy's there. I, I thought about that, trying to trying to think how to you know classify it, and that's one of the biggest struggles I had, in not as a listener of this album, but as a reviewer of this album, was how to classify it. So I had a tendency to want to say that this was power pop, just because, for lack of a better definition. But I don't think the tempos are there, and I don't think the, um, not at least not consistently through the whole album to kind of classify it that way. I also had trouble finding other bands to compare them to and the best names i could come up with would be bands that would be probably good candidates for the show which doesn't really help people very much but like one of the bands that came to mind was czar which oh yeah i, I definitely heard the czar bonus points if you know who czar are uh we probably won't be able to re- uh, review them because i don't think their album came out in the 90s but no pretty obscure pop band pop rock hard rock band uh, another one that came to mind was king adora which is uh, i think a uk band um, it's also pretty obscure, but it's the same sort of sort of sound. But another band that, that kind of I think people people may be able to, to, to uh, relate to and understand where they're coming from on would be um, Silver Sun Pickups. And I say that because they also have that same mix of tones in terms of what the band sounds like. So there's the this really good thick drum sound, thick snare sound. There's a kind of a fuzzy mid with uh, a mix of guitars and bass. And then over top of it, there's this very unique, sort of higher ranged singer who doesn't like scream or yell or anything, but very relaxed delivery and a very unique um, sort of voice. At times, almost sounding doubled, but I don't think it is. Very kind of strange voice. And then underneath it, all these harmonies, um, which I'm going to guess this band, the Wanna Dies, have a female backup singer. Yeah, that's the Christina Bergmark who's on keyboards as well. But it's a, it's a kind of the same. Now, the songwriting's different. Wanted Dies, I think, are a lot popular. But it's kind of the same formula that Silver Sun pickups have in terms of the tones that they're bringing together. Um, so I was kind of hearing them in this, and I doubt that they were influenced by them or anything, but I think it's at least a point of reference for you know what this band sounds like. If you were to take them and sort of mix in a lot more pop sensibilities. I think you kind of start to get an idea of what the Wanna Dies sound like. You know, the first song is like, it's kind of the novelty song, I guess, or it sort of sounds like a French... Well, yeah, we should get into that. Folk um, song or something. It's deceptive. And I figured if you listen to the... If you started... Sometimes you listen to albums where they, you just put them on shuffle and you throw them in with your other stuff and you, if they come up. But if, if you started with this album from the top... I thought you would turn it off almost immediately because oh, it starts absolutely. with like a French pop feel with this yeah. like, you know, uh, strumming acoustic guitar and then they bring in what sounds like it's not an organ, it's not a harmonica, but it's, I'm not sure what the instrument is, but it okay. sounds like, I, I said it sounded like a cross between French pop and Flight of the Concords doing fr- uh, French pop. Yep. But then it kicks into that song. Yeah, but then it goes back to it again. So th- that's a song that if you if you get this album, 
don't, don't put too much weight on that unless you really like it but either way the rest of the album is not like that that song so it threw me uh getting into it uh it, it kind of threw me for a loop of uh -oh, what am i getting into here always when we fight i tried to make you love till everything's forgotten i know you hate that rest of the album the tempos pick up and things get a little bit more straightforward and it, it, it evens itself out so what was your what was your your take I, I i had a much uh more positive reaction the first time i listened to this this i had it on low and i was sort of just using it as background music and every once in a while it would catch my ear and then i went back and listened to it and i turned it up really loud and i was just blown away at how much i liked this record um, and the Czar comparison is perfect because I'm not a huge, a lot of this to me is power pop and I'm not a huge power pop fan. I mean, power pop is a hard thing to really qualify because, you know, I started writing, writing down bands that get mentioned as power pop and you say Cheap Trick is power pop, The Raspberries, Big Star, Posies, Sloan, Matthew Sweet, Teenage Fan Club. Well, there are elements of all those bands within this band but this band doesn't sound like any of those bands. If right. anything, they sound like a much happier Posies or another band that sort of came to mind was the New Pornographers, probably because of the male-female vocal thing that goes on, but a much mm -hmm. catchier and more accessible New Pornographers. This, to me, is a perfect record for putting on in the summer and driving. And I, in fact, that's what I did last weekend. We, got, we had nice weather for the first time in a while. And I, I put this on. And we put the windows down in the car and drove around, and this just cranked this record, and it sounded awesome. Sort of like that Czar record did when it came out. Like that just sort of hit at right at the right time, with good weather, and you put the windows down and just blast it. It's weird because there are definitely elements of this record that I shouldn't like because they are so poppy, and I tend to like things that are a little bit darker. I mean, my favorite bands are like the Manic Street Preachers and the Afghan Wigs. I mean, there's not a lot of pop or sunshine in either of those bands, but the amount of optimism and fun that this band is having, I mean, they have like three songs, which they're basically singing about how cool it is to be in a rock band, where they're, ha they're like happy about being in a rock band and, and how much fun it is. And the guy, there's a lyric where he says, um, I want to be a football star and play left-handed guitar. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like cool, fun lyrics. It's not deep. But 
it has a lot of um, there's a lot of depth to the overall construction of the songs, which makes them so interesting. There's a lot of little textures that they throw in very subtly. You know, they, there's a little bit of harmonica on one song. I think on the third song, which is um, "Love in June," has a great bass line. Uh, it comes in and, he, and the bass player does this like dive on the on, on the bass strings, and I think there's a little bit of a banjo picking in that song. I can't tell if it's banjo or if it's just an acoustic guitar that's being picked. But it's so that song. Go ahead. Um, it's just really subtle, and they do that on almost every song. There's like a just a slight little instrument that they add. It's just. You know, it's not overdone. It opposite of that Zumpano record, which was also trying to be, you know, a pop record in a sense. Uh, but that just killed the extra instruments. It overdid them. And this is very tasteful. This Plus this album, it really kind of rocks all the way through. There's maybe one or two songs that, that get mellow. I really, I, probably my, the highlight of the whole thing for me is New World Record. It has this mm -hmm. great, almost like T-Rex riff going on. Yep. Really cool uh, guitar leads. The, the girl boy vocals are, are what make a lot of these songs. They make them, they push the over, they push the pop element over the top. Well, they make the choruses. I mean, yeah, it's... they do. great harmonies together and that's a powerful tool to have in your uh, arsenal if your band be able to uh, pull that off because it, it, it definitely makes the choruses um, another thing when you mentioned the guitar leads I think that's cool about them if you go back and listen I think all or if not most most or if not all of the guitar leads are not distorted so the rhythm guitars are fuzzed out heavy mm -hmm. um, really thick but when they do a guitar lead it's actually not distorted, which is, it's kind of a very different approach to that. And it, it just brings a really unique texture to the, to the overall sound of the band. And a lot of times they're, I mean, they're not, they're not playing searing solos or anything, but they are integral parts of the melody and, the, and they kind of play off the vocal here and there. 
and you'll hear them on the intros of some of the songs and you'll hear them in the choruses of other parts of the songs um but a lot of times they're clean i mean they'll have a little bit of effect on them but they're not overdriven sort of lead like you would expect to hear over top of uh you know fuzzed out guitars yeah i think there's only one song that has a really blatant like fuzz guitar part that's um track four how does it feel it's it's the slower like has like a groove to the song was that song that song wasn't a hit or or like played on the radio because it sounds very familiar no no this this, so this band didn't even get released here (laughs) like this album wasn't even released in the united states so that to me when i get these albums to review i sort of mix them all together and for a while and just listen to them all randomly and certain things stick out whatever when i sat down this past week to really invest time in this album when that song came up i was like very familiar with it and like totally recognized it so if you're saying it didn't get played on the radio I, I thought maybe it got played on the radio if it didn't get played on the radio that just means that for me hearing it randomly i absorbed it enough to where i felt like very familiar with it which tells me that you know, that's a pretty hooky song. Yeah. That was the one that, um, you know, a lot of this stuff did not remind me of Big Star. And a lot of bands, when they were mentioning Power Pop, you mentioned the Big Star. But that song, How Does It Feel, had a very uh, number one album, which is the first record by Big Star, very much in that vein. Like, Back of a Car, September Girls, it fit right in with that, like, mid tempo groove, but with a huge hooky chorus. think of track 10 dreamy wednesdays what'd you have down for that i had that it sounded like kent really that's what threw that's what that's how i that song is how i figured out they were swedish um vocally it sounds a lot like a kent song and even at one point he does like a little spoken thing and he says a word that is definitely not in english that's what for me tipped me off okay swedish but that yeah i was getting i was getting kent big time on that I did hear, uh, I'm not going to lie, I heard some of the Kent too, and people out there are probably like, who the hell is Kent? Because they didn't exactly break through in the United States, but they're a cool band to check out. We My probably... earlier point, a bunch of references to bands that nobody's got. Yeah. I kind of got a little bit of Weezer from that song. I got Weezer on track nine. So I'm looking at my notes right here, and that had like the, the bigger, that probably has the biggest guitar riff on it. I, I think, think you're confusing tracks nine and ten. Track, oh, really? track nine is do it all the time, which is got which is like do it all the time, yeah yeah yeah. It's like really poppy, and then 
10 is Dreamy Wednesdays, and it's got the really, like, fuzzed-out, heavy, mid-tempo, kind of sounds like... Okay, maybe I'm thinking uh, 11 is the uh, song. Yeah, the 11 is Kid called. Casanova. Like, it's called Kid, but he says Kid Casanova in the... Yeah. In the chorus. Yeah, okay. That's the, that's the Okay. Dreamy Wednesdays was uh, the loser song. Yes. That was the only one to me that I heard it, I said, well, this sounds like the 90s. Like, this sounds like blatantly 90s not grunge but like what Weezer was doing and what other American you know pop power pop rock bands whatever you want to classify them as Are able to make music that sounds strangely familiar, but you can't really pin where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they do it, but that's that's another reason why, you know, after listening to this album a couple of times, it sort of started to dawn on me that when I was trying to trace back where the influences were, where it all sounded familiar and, and well crafted, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And Scandinavian bands do that better than American bands. American bands, like you can figure out pretty fast where they're coming from um that the influences are way more transparent somehow i don't know Scandinavian bands are able to they're able to reinvent it i guess or interpret it in ways that will sound very familiar but are still very original another thing that threw that clued me into that this is being a uh, swedish band was um track three mm-hmm which you mentioned earlier. Yeah, there's 11 a, June. There's a double kick part in that song. There is Please. not a band, a, an American band at this time playing this kind of music that would have dared <laughs> use a double kick pedal. <laughs> but I can tell you, Swedish bands don't give a shit. Like, music is just, you know, it's I've, that may be one of the keys to, to the way they approach things, but music is just it's more timeless, and they're not as... Trend, they don't follow trends in the same way that I think we do. I think that's pretty common all over Europe, but there's a, a, a part, a short part in there where like everything cuts away and you hear a kick drum. And it, I, I, unless he's really good with one kick pedal, I'm pretty sure it's a double kick. Pedal. Wow, that's a good, that's a good catch. Part, but I was like, once again, this, this is probably a guy, a guy who, uh, you know, grew up playing metal or, you know, 
or whatever in uh, in the 80s and gotten one of these alternative sort of more of an alternative band in the 90s and you know wasn't afraid to bust that out every now and then it's really tastefully done it's a really cool part so listen for it next time you, you have that song yeah and I'm I'm really curious to listen to the, I, this is the only album I have and I'm really curious to hear what their other stuff sounds like because um, you know there are bands where I've kind of discovered them two or three albums in and then I've gotten their new stuff and I've gotten their old stuff and it doesn't really stand up to that first album a good example would be Glucifer. Um, I love the Glucifer, which I believe they're... Are they Swedish? Or are they Norwegian? Um, Norway. I love Tender is the Savage. But every album before that and every album that, after that, I'm sort of like, eh, it's okay. But I can listen to that album straight through every day for the rest of my life. I love that album. No reason why. It shouldn't make, doesn't make sense, but what can I tell you? But that's just an example where, uh, you know, one album hits... And this I, this album to me is that same way. Like, I can listen to this thing straight through. It's 39 minutes. It's 11 songs. It's not like you don't have to get you know invest a lot of time into it. But it just it connects with me on a certain level, and I, I just totally dig this record. Last thing we got to bring up is, and I think it's going to be obvious. Why didn't this band break through in the United States, other than getting you know on the soundtrack and playing a little bit on college radio? What year did this come out? This particular album came out in 94. Oh, you know, I think they were just a couple years early. I, I This is especially like, if you look at uh, track four. Um, How does it feel? feel? That could have been a hit in the mid to late 90s, 96, 97-ish. Like, that feels a lot to me, like what was going on at that time. And it's hard to... It's very, or I should say, it's very easy to, to kind of picture that being a, a hit song on the radio. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's probably this is, might be a case of just them being a little bit ahead of their time, um, not quite edgy enough. Like they, they, they peter on it. You know, the tones are there. It's got a nice, you know, texture to it. It's got a nice amount of, got some grit. It just had that little bit of extra darkness to it or, you know, grittiness to it. May have helped them a little bit more. Might be just a little too poppy for, for mid-90s or early 90s. You know, there wasn't a lot going on at that time that was this poppy that I can think of other than maybe like Teenage Fan Club who also Matthew, weren't successful. <laughs> yeah, Matthew Sweet would probably be the only person who's, who's had mainstream success. Um, in the United States that was doing anything similar. I don't think that the Posies were still really just a college rock band. They weren't, you know, selling a million records. Sloan wasn't. So even the Cardigans... I think of all those bands being maybe a couple of years after that. Well, uh, I'd have to check the, you know, the internet for confirmation. But I think Matthew Sweet's Girlfriend, which was the album that broke him through, came out in, like, 91. He was already into, like, Altered Beast and... Um, another album after that not Blue Sky on Mars but there's another album I'm missing in there uh, that you know he was he was already into that phase of his career by 93, 94, 95 well, so I mean if that's the case then I think that I think I think of his lack of support 
Yeah. You know, I, I think the songs are here. I think they would have fit what you're saying is right. I mean, I think it would have fit the time period very well. What was going on? I mean, the cardigans were getting played. Yeah, I mean, why couldn't this band too? have been on tour opening for Weezer when they were yeah, when they were when they were out touring the Blue Album? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's a tougher one to answer. That's yeah. Just bad luck, you know, more than anything. Maybe they were afraid to fly. They wouldn't come to the United States. <laughs> Who knows? Big visa. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Parr and Gunner were. We're having these problems. Maybe people were pissed off about Ace of Base at this time. Didn't want to hear any more Swedish music. That was it. There was a ban on Swedish Swedish bands. All right. Well, I think we've given two thumbs up to this album. Um, yeah. We can definitely recommend it. And you can go to the digmeoutpodcast.com website to check out a video and download track you go to go to the amazon link to either download or buy the cd i believe the cd is for sale at amazon.com although i think at this point it's an import so you're probably going to pay a, a few nickels for it rather than just the typical one cent for most of the albums that we review also want to mention uh i want to say thank you to the people who have commented on our itunes page giving us positive uh feedback we appreciate uh all the support from our iTunes commenters and feel free to you know, shoot us an email if you've got a CD you'd like us to review we've got a pretty good um, list building of albums we're going to be taking a look at that people have suggested taking a listen to I should say not taking a look at uh, but we're, we're always reprioritizing so if something yeah. inter- particularly interesting comes across we'll, we'll work it in earlier Yeah, I'm currently working through the A's I'm trying to get through this alphabetically right now I'm just focusing on the A's. Once I get out of the A's, then I will move into the B's. And so on and so forth. There's a lot of albums to check out. So sometime in 2012, I should be done. And we should be actually uh, moving on to our uh, our own picks. Yeah. <laughs> the music we like. Yeah, the music we like. All right. I think that's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Jay, for joining me once again. And we'll be back next week on Dig Me Out. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Three. So. Yeah.